sometimes it's okay if you just write for an audience of one. Being published commercially or even just online and having lots of views or likes or positive feedback, sometimes that's not the most important thing. Sometimes it's that thing that we talked about right at the beginning about that nourishing, self-reflective process of listening to yourself and listening to God and growing through that. Welcome to the Pastoring with Words podcast, a show where Christian authors and ministry workers have conversations about writing and following Jesus. I'm your host, Daryl Leib. One of the ideas behind the Pastoring with Words podcast is to encourage people who are interested in writing. It may be with the intent to publish, but perhaps equally important, writing as personal and spiritual growth. This is part of the reason I ask guests on the podcast about their writing and how they wrote it. It's a joy to be joined by Peter Holford for this episode. I've asked Peter on the podcast to share some of his insights and advice from his experience in the world of publishing. He has spent many years in the publishing industry in Australia and the UK, working in both Christian and secular publishing houses. Since Peter has filled numerous roles from marketing to manuscript selection, he offers wisdom with a working knowledge of the industry as a whole. Peter is also a good friend of mine. I've known him many years. He was my best man, and it's through him that I met my wife, Megan. I look up to Peter because of his integrity and his walk with God. So if you are a writer or simply believe that God speaks when you still yourself before him, I'm sure you will love Peter's gentle wisdom. So thanks for joining me uh, this evening, Pete. I really appreciate you coming on board the the show. But first, can you tell me uh, and everyone who's listening just a little bit about yourself and your background in the publishing industry? Sure. Well, thanks for inviting me to talk tonight, Daryl. I really appreciate it. I've been working in and around books and publishing uh, for most of my adult life. A long time ago, um, back in the uh, mid-90s, I started out in publishing. I worked for Scripture Union Publishing based in London, and uh, they took me on as a publishing trainee fresh out of university. I worked there in the UK with Scripture Union for some years um, in sales and marketing and and other roles, and then eventually as a a production manager there. They were great years. Um, I was involved in London and the Society of Young Publishers, and I met people from a whole range of publishing houses. Uh, I repped for a while with other publishers like University Press, Bible Reading Fellowship. Uh, And then after some years, I came and took up a role here in Scripture Union Australia as a sort of uh, the head of the publishing division here and uh, looked after everything, really, for a very small team from commissioning new works, sales, marketing, distribution, right across Australia, Southeast Asia and the Pacific. Then after a few years, uh, some years in that role, I worked for Scholastic Australia uh, and I was the marketing manager for their book clubs division for about seven years. So that's sort of my my professional background in, in publishing, I guess. Um, I've I've written many times for different daily 
Bible-reading devotional publications, both in print and online. And what have been some of the highlights, uh, personal highlights for you in that time? As someone who loves books and reading, being around books in quantity, in range, is always a great thing. Yeah. Uh, being able to travel, go to book fairs, meet authors, you know, uh, spend time visiting bookshops all over the country, talking to booksellers, talking to book lovers, uh, meeting authors um, and spending time with them. Yeah, and one of the things that I really strongly believe is publishing shouldn't necessarily be the end goal of writing. What I mean by that is Mm. that for me, I find in the process of writing that I find myself in a place where I'm able to still myself enough to hear God speak to me. It's a place where I can be led to write encouragement to the people that I serve, whether that's just in the form of a note, you know, Mm. a post on social media. It could be Mm. something longer even in terms of a book. But I was wondering if that's something that you can relate to as well. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I'm really glad you mentioned that because uh, for me, there is an aspect to writing itself, which is uh, an inner process, which is deeply enriching and valuable in its own right. So for me personally, for major seasons of my life, and certainly in, in most recent years, journaling, for example, yeah. has been a major part of my reflective practice. Um, yeah. Uh, virtually a, a spiritual discipline. And journaling for me, uh, there's two, two main dimensions of that. One is my life story. For, for me, there are some great stories that um, have affected me uh, in my lifetime. And I've learned from them. Some of them are classic stories that everyone will know, everything from the Narnia Chronicles mm-hmm. to you know, other great uh, works of imagination. But then there's the story of my own life. And I think that there's, a, there's this great value that comes when we journal about our own lives. We reflect actively just between ourselves and God. And we think about and somehow uh, recognize this narrative that's unfolding. Yeah. Um, so this is, this is a, 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 a sort of a self-reflective and self-critical practice about learning from life itself. Uh, And it helps us know more about who we are, I think, for me anyway. It helps me get a better handle on who I am and and, uh, what what kind of character I am in this story that's unfolding, which is my own life. And then there's this other kind of journaling which I do, and that is journaling the scriptures. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's very directly linked in with the writing that I do most days, not every day where I, I, I pray and then I read the scriptures and then I sit down and, and increasingly in, the, in recent times with a pen and paper. And so for me, journaling the scriptures is, has become a part of, of learning to listen to God and thinking through in words in a very specific and intentional way what I'm reading and what it might mean and what I might be hearing. And so that has, that's perhaps a, a part of my spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. And so all of those things I find hugely um, enriching and helpful to me in learning and growing 
uh, and listening to God, I think. Sometimes the things that flow from the end of my pen take me by surprise. And it, it really helps me to both crystallize and separate out my thoughts and, and become clearer in my own thinking. Mm. Uh, it helps me to focus my thoughts and my ideas. So, so that's that right at the other extreme from you know a commercial publishing output. And then, of course, these days we have everything that's in between. Uh, and very often we're writing things online, sometimes for a very uh, specific group. Um, this year in particular, with all that's been going on, my own Bible study group that I lead was unable to meet for some months. And yeah. So I was writing almost daily. And I remember specifically the time leading up to Easter and preparing something devotional and reflective, which I thought might be edifying to the people that I that I uh, cared about and, and sought to teach and lead in that way. So, so yeah, I think that it's a huge, it's a wide thing. It's huge. And uh, it's going to be different for every writer and, and everyone who finds themselves in a position of, of pastoral leadership or teaching responsibility of some kind. But there, there's some of the ways that for me, writing is significant. Yeah. I, I love that because, you know, whether we're writing as part of our ministry or whether we're writing because it's something that we we do, we tend to be so focused on that publishing aspect. So to realise that there's something deeper in our writing is something that's not only mm-hmm. refreshing but is so needed if we're to write deeply in ways that not only enrich our own walk with God and those around us, which was what I heard you uh, talking about, but also Mm. enrich our own writing in the future as well, as we come back and reflect Mm. on what we've we've written and how our relationship with God has changed. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I love that. And yeah, there's this sense that you can return to something that you, you've journaled some years ago uh, on a, let's say on a given passage of scripture, four years, eight years later, you read it and you think, wow, who wrote this, this material? It was me. Yeah. Um, and, and you can re- realize actually that you've, you've come along. Uh, and not only that, but that in fact, at, at times in the past that God revealed things to you, which are really good for me now to be reminded of uh, perhaps years later. Yeah. Uh, so there's this element of, you know, this recursive element to it where you, you have a sense of growth uh, in returning to writing that you've done previously. One of the reasons that I really wanted to invite you on was because I wanted to learn from you. You have something to offer me because if I imagine writing almost as a dinner table, then writers can sit at one side of the table and kind of the publishing (laughs) world sits on the other side of the dinner table. Sometimes we don't talk to each other as much as we should. And I wanted to bring you on because not only are you a good friend of mine, but I actually think that there's important lessons that we can learn from each other. So, you know, I... 
just want to ask you, what are some of the important things that people who want to be published, what are some of the important things that they should consider? Right. I think you need to think about why you want to be published uh, if you're thinking about being published commercially. I think that's an important question yep. for, for people to start with, especially if you're looking to publish into the Christian publishing industry. It's very similar and yet it's also different. So the, the Christian publishing industry has many of the same imperatives uh, as, the, as, as the wider publishing industry. They, they need to pay their bills. They uh, want to publish good quality material, yep. uh, but they need to be convinced that it's, it's going to reach an audience. It's going to sell. Yeah. Uh, it's going to produce, uh, it, it, will, it will pay for itself and, and hopefully it will make a difference in the lives of the people that read the material. So you need to sort of bear in mind that those are all realities. That will help the writer understand some of the pressures that the publisher faces. Yep. You really need to think about the people that you believe will read this book. It's, it's a very important question that I always ask people who have an idea for a book or indeed even a manuscript. Who do you believe will read this book? The answer that usually rings alarm bells for me as a publisher is if they say, well, everyone. Yeah. And the reality is that there are very few books which everyone wants to read. Yeah. Uh, and the point is that we need to think very specifically about the kinds of people. And unless a writer has thought very carefully about who is going to read their book and why they would choose to read it and what they might get from it, then the alarm bell ring, it rings for me as a publisher is that they actually haven't given that a great deal of thought. Mm -hmm. um, and a writer does need to have their audience in mind when they're writing. Uh, it will make... Uh, it will make it a, a better book yeah. uh, or a, a better article or um, uh, a better blog post even or a better poem. Just a, so a really good um, uh, exercise for budding writers is, is to have a think about if, if this book were, were published and printed, uh, where would it be sold and, and in what bookshops or, or on what websites and wh what shelves would it sit on? What yeah. part of the bookshop would it, would it sit in? Uh, what shelves would it be most appropriately shelved on? Um, and, and what tags would be attached to it if it was in an online bookshop? And because those are the things that enable people to find your book once it's published. Yeah. Uh, but it, if it's a book that actually defies all of those classifications, sometimes it, it means that, again, we haven't thought carefully enough about its audience and its purpose and its context and they're really important things to think about. And, it, and even in, in approaching publishers, you know, different publishers have different audiences and uh, uh, each will have their own focus. And think about, well, which publisher will, will my work best sit in? So those things can be really helpful. In, in, in not, and it's not just sales and marketing. It, it's helpful in you refining your manuscript, making it as good as it can be and reaching the people that it's going to make the biggest difference to. I remember a few episodes ago talking to Nathan Foster. He um, mentioned that he thinks of his writing as an act of serving people. And I so love that. 
even though he's sitting alone and he's sitting there writing away on trying to write this book, and yet in his mind he's forming the words together to try to serve people. So there he's got this this mm. why, this motivation question, and mm. he shifted the focus from about him and even wanting to fulfill the desire to be published and turning it into mm. how can I serve people, how can I help them grow closer to Jesus through telling this particular story. Yeah, I think that that really resonates with me. And, you know, he... From what you say, he's really keeping in mind that end reader and and how they will consume or appreciate this this writing, this wisdom, this insight, uh, this teaching, whatever it is, um, and keeping those people in mind because, you know, as as we labour over the the words and the sentences that we write, we need to be thinking about uh, making it accessible and really communicating. There's no point in us writing in a way which is obscure or, or difficult to grasp. Uh, and that's, that's that art of continually refining and improving your expression uh, to, to do your best, that, that people will actually, they will hear what you're really trying to say. And that uh, refinement process goes hand in hand with the editing process. And, you know, every piece of written work goes into this editing process but so often there's this bit of a fear that authors have with editors it's almost like so many authors feel that editors are just out there to destroy all the words that they've written that they've labored over from your experience because you've worked on both sides of this so how are some of the ways that you think this relationship can be a healthy one? Uh, look, it, it, it works both ways. There's, there's things that editors, um, that editors can bring and do bring to the process, and there's things that authors obviously bring to the process, uh, and they need to be appreciative of each other, and I think that they are. I think that they are appreciative of each other. The thing about editors is the first thing I would say is that there's two there's two kinds of editors. There's actually lots of different kinds of editors, but broadly speaking, there's there's what uh, in, in the British system of publishing that I was trained in. Yeah. There's the what we call the commissioning editor. So there's the editor who uh, has commissioned you to write a piece. You've you've been identified as a suitable person who brings the necessary expertise and profile and knowledge and and the skills and ability to write on a given topic for a given purpose and a commissioning editor's job is, is to find writers to, to do this kind of work or to appraise manuscripts that have come in uh, unsolicited. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that's sort of the commissioning editor's role. And, and they're really the person that thinks about the end reader the most and the mark, target market and who will want to read this and, and is this really good writing. And they, they have this evaluative approach and yeah. it's, it's a crucial part and it's a very senior and very responsible role in a publishing operation. And then there are other editors who um, often called a desk editor or a copy editor, uh, and they're looking at your punctuation. They're yeah. really going to hone in there and go, uh, we really need to work on this particular way of writing that you have and, and making it so that it, people really understand it and uh, get, you, get all the spelling right and, and, and make it really smooth. 
uh, both types of editors are your friend, really, as a writer. Yeah. Uh, the commissioning editor really is um, someone who has already recognised you. If they've commissioned you to write, they've already, already recognised uh, that you have something valuable to bring. You can really be uh, encouraged that somebody who is uh, very experienced, a professional in their field, has recognised in you something of great value, certainly something of sufficient value for their, their company to invest in and to take a, a risk in. So, so be encouraged. If you have a commissioning editor at all, uh, if you're in that relationship, that means that um, you've, they've already recognised you. Yeah. As, as bringing something of value and of merit. The second thing to, uh, to think about with working with commissioning editors is that when they propose changes, they're always looking for ways to improve your manuscript. They're not seeking to steal your glory. Their name will probably never appear anywhere in print. They're not seeking to undermine uh, your work or, or in any way diminish it their motivation actually is to make it the very best it possibly can be. Uh, so if they suggest uh, there's a half chapter that really needs to go, it's, it's well worth uh, having a conversation with them and getting to the bottom of why they think that, uh, because they're bringing enormous knowledge and experience. And if there's, a, if there's a half chapter that they think is missing and needs to be added, it's the same thing. Think of them more as a critical friend because ultimately their desire is really to see this project succeed. That can really help. It can help you become a better writer. It can improve the final output of your manuscript. The, the desk editor, the copy editor, the other type of editor I was speaking about, they're just going to make your text as good as it possibly can be. So if they're going to make recommendations for punctuation and spelling and everything, just trust them. Just go with that. Uh, there is also the house style. So a publishing house will usually have um, a style guide of their own uh, on certain things and spellings uh, and certain types and use of punctuation. Just run with that. That's never, that's never an argument that's, or nearly never an argument that's worth having. Yeah. I think um, sometimes because we've labored over uh, a piece of work for so long that it can be difficult for us to spot things as well. And we need someone who's mm. a little bit removed to help us see things mm. that need to be added or things to be removed as well. The editor is almost like someone holding the map, helping guide us through. Yeah, we've got the lay of the land, mm. but they're able to mm. see things in a bigger picture and go, hold on, you're missing some vital yeah, yeah. plot line there or... Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, sometimes they'll say to you, you know, I just, I just want you to think about this paragraph again because it, it sounds like you're being, I don't know, condescending or superior or something. You're going to put your reader uh, on edge here. Have a think about, about how you're coming across in this context. And you might never have thought of that. You're going, oh, I'm not being superior. I'm not trying to be condescending. Um, I had never realized that I might sound like that. And so they, you're exactly right. They can be that that sounding board for you. Uh, and that's, that's a really important and valuable part of the process. Having worked both in Christian and secular publishing, what similarities and differences have you noticed between authors in each sector? I think that uh, true writers ultimately are the same 
whether they come to publish in the Christian sector or the general sector. I think that ultimately uh, there's something within them which is creative uh, and communicative and that they want to share. Sometimes they need some encouragement in that. Very often I think that at their core they have some kind of delight in the production of this thing, whether it's a beautiful children's illustrated book or a, a relatively weighty reflective or theological tome. There's something that they, they find delight in. Beyond that, you know, there, there are people who are really hoping for uh, a, a financial return. Yeah. Um, and the number of people that can make enough money to live on from writing alone is small. Yeah. I think it would not it would not be an exaggeration to say that it is a small proportion of published authors either in the Christian publishing industry or or the general publishing world uh, who are able to to make enough money but there are people who are motivated by that and I think I think if that's the motivation you have to be careful you know because you can end up uh, hankering too much after what it is that your audience is looking for and what they will uh, hand over their money for, you know, and that's, that's a risk for both Christian and non-Christian publishers, you know, uh, or Christian and non-Christian writers. I think if you're a Christian writer, I think you really want to be prayerful. I think you really want to uh, examine your heart and think about uh, what it is that God has put on your heart to share in this particular mode. And not let the thought of some other return affect or dilute or pollute what it is that God's put on your heart. You want to stay true to your voice uh, and you want to remember why it is that you write it all. And what I would encourage people to think about who are writing and who uh, would like to be published commercially is, is stay true to your own voice. Work it, develop it, grow it, improve it, and get better at what you're doing. But try not to be distracted by that, by chasing after maybe what, other, what you think other people want to hear from you. Yeah. And think about what it is that's within you that you want to come out in the course of your writing. So it's a bit of staying true to your voice, being good at listening to yourself. If you're writing as a Christian, being a good listener as much as a good writer and listening to what God is saying to you. For many pastors and ministry workers, their writing is so connected with their ministry. It can create uh, a tension between work time and, and writing time. You know, and add to that family commitments, the congregation's expectations, and maybe sometimes how royalties work. And writing can be quite a complex process. How do you think it's best to approach all of this? This is a, this is a good question. Uh, it's one that's really worth careful reflection on and also discussion. That's something that's good to talk about. You know, some yeah. people feel awkward about talking about financial matters, especially sometimes in a ministry setting. Uh, yeah. It can be an awkward or difficult thing, but I would encourage everybody uh, who finds themselves in that kind of situation to really uh, be open 
open and transparent with with everybody involved. So yeah. uh, the first thing that came to mind for me when when you were asking me this was about the relationship with one's employer. So if we're if we're employed by a church or a parachurch organization uh, and we're finding that we're spending time on on writing and it's perhaps generating some income, then I think an upfront discussion is really important, an upfront conversation. Yeah. Um, and so if we find ourselves going into a ministry role uh, and we're already established as a writer and we know that this is a part of our lives, yeah. this is a part of how we spend our time and it's a part of the income that actually we do receive or expect to or depend on receiving, then I think having that conversation up front is really important. It may involve some negotiation. It may uh, result, uh, result in, a, in a very black and white arrangement. It's like, well, you need to do your writing on your own time. Yeah. Or there, there may be uh, quite a different approach. It may be, well, you know, this is, this is a resource development that you would have been doing in our congregation anyway. You're developing small group resources. You know, we as, you know, the elders of your church or the board that employs you, we're happy for you to go away and, and um, seek publication of that material in another context. We see that as part of your your development professionally and spiritually. And, you know, we, we'd really like to bless you in that. And so there's, there's a whole range of different um, situations that could arise. If you're one of those huge selling um, Christian authors, then that's probably going to be dealt with right up front. If you're a known author and take a job yeah. uh, in a church, it's yeah. probably going to be in, in your contract somewhere and it'll be pretty easy to discern. Yeah. But, you know, there are, there are some blockbuster Christian authors out there who give away all their royalties. They just say, look, I've set up a trust. Yeah. I want all, the, all of the earnings to go into this particular fund. I don't, I don't need that money. I have a regular job. There's a variety of approaches that can be taken. And I think the openness up front is really important. That's the main thing. And, and you mentioned family and other commitments. And I think even though it's not about money, I assume, with family, it's mm. still a conversation to have. You know, If dad's working all the hours already, uh, and then he comes home at night and he's just he just goes into his study and or if if mum gets home after a long day in ministry and and just disappears into her study and is working late into the night on this book there's a price that that's going to be paid by the people that love you yeah um, and you need to share with them what your what your priorities are your hopes and dreams and desires are and you need to have that conversation that helps people understand what you're working on and why and, and yeah. reassures the, the people that, that you love and who love you um, so that they can support you and, and pray for you and bless you in other ways. So I, I think it's all about just having those conversations up front. Is that some helpful reflection? It is. You've brought something really wise there in just having those conversations. And sometimes we don't like those awkward conversations, but being willing to have them kind mm. of sets the expectations of everyone involved, which is mm. so freeing, not only for the person who's writing, but also for the people that are also bearing those burdens as well, whether that's family or employers 
congregation members at times, perhaps. Mm. So I think there's there's real wisdom there. And I think I, I think the openness is more important than the money. You know, some people worry about how how will the money be handled. Yeah, and it, frankly, it, it's it's very often such a small amount of money that it's yeah. it's not really the dollars and cents that are the most important thing. I think it's that openness and transparency and honesty and the preparedness uh, that we show to be accountable to those people that we are accountable to, whether they're family or spouses, loved ones or employers. And I think that that's probably the most important thing. Just finally, Pete, because I know that it's getting a bit late and when it gets late, you start talking gibberish. So before that happens, <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> before that happens, could you just summarize uh, some of this great advice that uh, you've given today and um, what key takeaways would be for for writers in terms of getting into publishing and finding their voice and staying true to the reason why they're writing? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So f- you've almost done it for me there. Finding <laughs> your voice and staying true, true true to what you're writing and the reasons that you're writing uh, are very important. And so I'd, I would encourage everyone to keep those things in mind. I think uh, another thing that I would encourage everyone who aspires to be a writer to do is to keep writing, to write as often as you can. Uh, I write nearly every day in one form or another, sometimes very briefly and sometimes at great length. To become uh, a better writer, we must keep writing. Uh, We must keep practicing. We do need to read our own writing uh, and think critically about it. Maybe not the next day, but a week or a month or a year later and be able to critically appraise it and go, that was a great piece of writing. I can't believe I produced that. Or... Yes, that was gibberish. I should put that away and never look at it. <laughs> I was too tired uh, then. And <laughs> you were way you were writing way too late at night. That night you should have stopped and gone to bed. Um, uh, but yes, to keep writing, to not give up, to be um, critically reflective of your own writing uh, when you're ready to share that writing uh, with other people that you trust and respect. Mm. Be ready to receive that feedback. Don't share your writing with the wrong people who aren't actually well-placed to critique or evaluate it. Maybe gather around you other people who feel likewise, who are developing their own writing uh, and and swap and exchange your writing and and give each other feedback. Uh, Great writers have been doing this for 100 years, for much longer than that. So I, I think that would probably be the one thing that I'd, I'd like to leave people with. Um, and sometimes it's okay if you just write for an audience of one. Mm. Uh, that actually being published commercially or even just online and having lots of views or likes or positive feedback, sometimes that's not the most important thing. Sometimes it's that thing that we talked about right at the beginning about that nourishing self-reflective process of uh, listening to yourself and listening to God uh, and growing uh, through that. I think that, that that is something 
that is just as valuable and rewarding and nourishing and important as becoming a blockbuster seller whose books run off the shelves. Yeah. So, so keep writing. Yeah, that's so encouraging, Pete. Thanks so much for that. Yeah, good. And as always, for me, it's been a great uh, time to just sit down and have a chat with you. And um, I'm sure that everyone that's been tuning in has really enjoyed our conversation as well. So thanks for sharing it with us and, and giving us your knowledge and insight from your years in the publishing world. So thanks for that. Mm, thanks, Daryl. I've really enjoyed it. It was a real honour to have my friend Peter Holford join me for this episode. I hope you will benefit from the wisdom he offered. For me, I love the idea that it's okay to write for an audience of one. Maybe you're like me and get caught up thinking about how my writing will change the world. You know, I need to be reminded that before writing to change the world, I need to write to be changed by God. If you've been enjoying the podcast, then please subscribe and leave a review. You know, this is one of the easiest ways that you can help the podcast be heard by more people. You know, and as always, I look forward to sharing another conversation on ministry and writing next week. But in the meantime, you know, you can head over to the Pastoring With Words website at pastoringwithwords.com. Until next week, we'll see you then.